0: I was almost going to give up trying the unit economics theme, because I just don't have that many clips about it. People don't really discuss it that much, and I think it's to their loss, because uh, this is how you really understand how businesses work. But anyway, just before I gave up, today I happened to come across Chris Saka's argument for clean tech, and I thought that it was very noteworthy, because clean tech has been uh, notorious, let's just say that, for having been a deathbed of returns and... First of all, John Doerr is doing the podcast round, saying that that wasn't actually true. It just took longer than expected. And second of all, he has some arguments about the unit economics and the financial financing economics that make it a very good investment, uh, even if you don't care about the planet.
1: You know, history has been littered with VCs that famously forayed into sustainability tech and then um, really got burnt bad. Um, um, Why is this going to be different? Um, uh, is are the lessons from investing in the Twitters and the Ubers relevant when you're investing in the next deep deep tech or clean tech or sustainability tech ventures? Yeah, I think all you have to do is kind of look at what happened with Y Combinator and the
2: web era, right? before Y Combinator and Y Combinator uses kind of a a marker in time of a bunch of things that were happening. Uh, but before then, it cost millions and millions of dollars to start a software uh, company, an app. Um, and it just it you had to get. I mean, and I'm, so I'm 46, I'm ancient. So I remember these things. Internet connections cost tens of thousands of dollars per month. You had to actually build your own rack of servers. Like, n- not kidding, you, you had to have a person or multiple people to build that rack of servers in a hosting center. You had to buy an Oracle development environment and a Sun development environment, and maybe a Novell environment before you could code anything. So what was getting funded back then were very thick business plans. And they were mostly bunk. And it was mostly kind of like snake oil salesmen who were able to charm the VCs into giving them millions of dollars to start these things. But it was just incredibly risky. And when you talk about getting burned, like that's what happened in Web 1.0, right? I mean, we there was a time where I got laid off from my law firm uh, in, uh, well, four days before September 11th. And For that next year, you couldn't get a U-Haul out of San Francisco because they'd all gone one way back to Indiana and shit. So everyone had moved back with their parents. It was bleak, right? But what happened with the arrival of open source software, cloud hosting, ubiquitous internet connections at freaking coffee shops, like suddenly now you had this explosion of entrepreneurship because the cost was so low. Now the result was there was a lot of crap made back then because the barrier to entry was lower, but there was a lot of amazing stuff too because we didn't have all these gatekeepers and we didn't have all these things standing in the way of building stuff and trying it. And so the result was we saw this shift where the cost came down, the unit economics made more sense, and, and now there was a direct relationship between the app developer and their user. You know, Back even when I was at Google, I was there 03 to 07, we had to do deals with the carriers before users could see an app. Uh, And so now you think about it, like you just post something up in the app store and as long as it complies with their rules, users just get to go download it. Um, And that wasn't the case back then. And so what we've seen in clean tech, and and, and believe me, I am grateful to John Doerr and the Kleiner team uh, and grateful to, uh, you know, Kosala and all the other folks who really pioneered this stuff. They were right, it was just a lot slower. Then you know, and so John Doerr's billion dollars into clean tech turned into three billion dollars. It just took a while, and the reason was those companies were really expensive to start. They didn't benefit from any of the things we benefit from today that, that I'll mention in a second. But and then the unit economics of what they were selling didn't make sense either. And so they counted on government for subsidy and they counted on regulation. What's changed is that these companies are so much cheaper to start now. A lot of that is just all about machine learning, compute clusters, about CRISPR case nine, available to teams of like two people when you needed a half billion dollars just a few years ago to do that. What's happening in synthetic biology and protein folding, all of that has brought the cost down to where the unit economics of what they're selling just makes sense on their own. And so without any government and regulation, and I'm allergic to that stuff, without any of that intervention at all, we can now go direct to a consumer, direct to business as a buyer, and directed government as a buyer. And so that's what's changed and that's what's dramatic. And it's funny, you know. I have, a, I have a good friend named Andrew Beebe who's a partner at Obvious Ventures. And a couple of years ago, Andrew saw me at a climate event and we'd been friends, he, he, he was selling solar panels back when I was at Google and I was buying solar panels from him. And so we'd known each other forever. And he pulled me aside and he's like, dude, save yourself. Don't get involved in this space. It's like where like passion and idealism go to die. And I said, no, 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 I, we really think it's changed. Like that the numbers are there and they move. And this is like the, this is the golden era right now. And about six, seven months ago, he came back to me and was like, you know what? Thanks for saying that, man. I got my second win and he's seeing it too. Like it, it is, you know, and he's one of the OGs and the leaders and someone I really respect in the space. And so that's what's happened is we've got companies like, I'll give you an example. We've got a company called Solugen. Solugen makes industrial chemicals using enzymes instead of petroleum now they do this because look digging up and burning old dinosaur bones is expensive and so anytime you can use the sun or a natural process you're just going to save money so they make hydrogen peroxide for instance at industrial scale and they take it to a guy and i like to imagine him as like a with a you know a, a make america great again red cap on and like a jumpsuit maybe he's got a tobacco dip in and he asked two questions. Is it hydrogen peroxide? Is it cheaper? Well then fuck it, I'll buy it. And like, that's my ideal customer right now. Someone who has no shits to give about the climate whatsoever, but just wants to buy the better, faster, cheaper, more delicious, easier to use, easier to maintain option. And so that's a company right there that's doing a nine figure run rate with 60% margins selling a commodity. In parallel, we see stuff like uh, Heart Aerospace. Um, We have this team when they came to pitch us, And I shouldn't even say they, it was a guy, a guy named Anders from Sweden. We were kind of like, uh, where's the rest of you? And he's like, no, no, I got this. I'm going to build a 19 seat, fully electric, regional commercial aircraft. And uh, we went and gut checked it with Boeing and Airbus. And they both told us physically impossible. Bill Gates's team was even down on it. Um, And so we invested. I wish we had invested more in hindsight, but we invested and we stayed close to him. And what he did was he took the seed money and he rented a hangar in Sweden. So he's got this huge hangar. But for the first year and a half, he just sat in the corner of the hangar and started hiring some computer scientists and some aerospace engineers. And they built the plane in the computer. Using machine learning and AI, they built the entire plane. And then as they started to hone in on the final design, piece by piece, they built that full-scale powertrain and reduced-scale fuselage in the hangar. And they went from in an industry where usually introducing a new airframe takes 10 years and billions of dollars on single digit millions of dollars with a team that was small enough to fit inside their 19 seat airplane. They went from zero to billions of dollars in orders from the major airlines. And those major airlines aren't doing that because they're like tree huggers. They're doing it because these are, these are airplanes that make their least profitable routes profitable. And so they're doing it on sheer greed. And so for me, that is, again, that typifies what's changed. What's changed is that the tiniest team can build something massive, leveraging computers, and that the market is there to buy it without anyone telling them they have to. And so that's why right now is different.
1: So if you are um, an aspiring Stanford student who wants to do something more than a digital company, um, uh, your argument would be that you can still go after something in sustainability tech or go after a, a more ambitious vision than a typical you know, uh, startup in, in the sustainable world, without, sustainability world without needing to have a different playbook. You don't need to have a different playbook on how you have to build that company because of the capital intensity. Um, it's the same basic playbook as what's existed over the last 10 years. Yeah, see, I mean, I'll say a few things about that. One is these are still companies. You still have to build them.
2: You know, we started something with some friends. Um, some, some friends started, we sponsored it and helped out. It's called the Climate Draft. And um, it was basically an attempt to give an off-ramp to well-known tech executives to move out of their digital companies into clean tech companies. And um, it's been fascinating. It's a quiet, safe space. People in the Zooms get to use pseudonyms and keep the video off. But I I know who's been hanging out there and it is mind-blowing. The amount of talent, particularly after being locked in their house for a couple of years, we're like, what is my legacy? What is my impact? What do I want to actually do with this life? like, what do I want to explain to my kids was uh, what I did? Did I just make a much more compelling app in the metaverse where none of us have a lower half of our body? Or did I actually make this planet livable and save hundreds of millions of lives, most of which are black and brown living in low-lying areas? Did I prevent war and famine and pandemic and generally stabilize this climate so that we can all, both humans and flora and fauna, live harmoniously for generations, which of those, I don't know, where does that come out? And so, so, but they're companies, we have to build them, we have to scale them. That's, that is hiring and recruiting and organization and communication and it's, and it's software and it's computer science. And it's all of these things that go into those other companies are required to build these companies too. Even if they have hard science at their core, they're still companies. What I'll say is different actually, is that yes, these companies are capital intensive, but they get to non-dilutive financing faster, meaning instead of raising series D, E, F, G, H, whatever the hell, they can get to where they borrow money faster because they actually have revenue faster. And this is what's funny. I mean, the traditional journey of building a web app uh, is, OK, we've got an idea. We go raise money. We take on millions and millions of dollars. We hire a bunch of people. We It's a beautiful idea. We think it's fantastic, but we spend a couple of years developing this thing, and we prepare for launch date and we put it up in the app store and we cross our fingers that anyone gives a shit. And most of the time they don't, no matter how well intentioned it is, like most of the time, nobody cares. So sometimes they do, and if they do, then you give it to them for free for years until you've got millions and millions and millions of them and you try and figure out, okay, how the hell are we gonna charge them for this now? How are we gonna make any money, right? That is like the desperate arc of web apps. And God bless, I've made a lot of money funding those things, but that's how that works. And so with our companies, We have a prototype. We see it like, okay, it works. Let's go to that first customer. The first customer may buy a vat this big or a couple kilos of something, but they're an arm's length customer. We're not selling to an uncle. And so we're like, okay, that's a real thing. Now we go scale. And as we scale, we generate cash flows and we generate receivables, and then we can go to an actual bank. And so it's hilarious, but like we we have an LP in our traditional lowercase fund who asked us this question and when, um, when we were pitching our carbon fund and um, and I explained this thing to them and I kind of looked at Clay, our partner, and I was like, you know, these guys are kind of old white hairs. Are they going to believe this at all? And they were like, ah shit, we were just messing with you. We've already lent to two of your lower carbon companies just off their balance sheet and income statements. And so that's what's changed. And I will say this. There will absolutely be more wealth generated in this space than in the Internet all time. There is no doubt just look at the numbers spent right now on internet advertising on e-commerce and i say this is a very proud stripe investor but just look at the scale of that and then compare that to what's happening in energy transportation building materials building operations food and agriculture just look at the scale of that we have multiple companies in our portfolio right now that i know will be worth multi-trillion dollars
0: I think the other thing that really impressed me just listening to Chris, uh, which I don't do that much of, obviously, he he is a pretty loud person, so it's not that hard. But the conviction that he has around his investments, he has companies in his portfolio that he knows are going to be worth trillions. That is the kind of mentality and conviction that you need to develop to be Chris Saka, to buy up every share of Twitter insight and turn yourself into a billionaire in 10 years.